0: What is up? We are here. The Sight and Sound podcast, podcast, Podcast Podcast presented by Art God Media. Uh and yes, we have today we're covering Prince of Darkness, 1987's Prince of Darkness from John Carpenter. We have Mr. Eric Scott Tyler and Mr. Lou Smith joining us. Gentlemen, say what up.
1: What up, what up? Hey, what's up?
0: So, uh, you've heard both these, uh, lovely gentlemen on this podcast many a time. And, uh, if you need to know anything more about them, we'll, uh, go back in the other episodes. Lou runs Burger Creek. He's in lurking class. He does a podcast called 15 minutes of fame. Uh, we're gonna, we're gonna make sure we get those links in the bottom and, and Eric has helped me, uh, man, this, uh, this treacherous, uh, Non F NFT having fucking ship uh, from the from the jizz-ump, So uh, here we are, boys. We're gonna talk John Carpenter, nineteen eighty John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. What a what an interesting fucking flick. Old Johnny boy fucking churned out in nineteen eighty
2: seven. Yeah, probably one of his more I would say underrated flicks. Part of the Old Apocalypse trilogy, as they call it. Um, Definitely, uh, definitely one of his better ones. If I if
1: I have to say, I was so excited when you had bridged this idea of wanting to talk about this because, like, what what I like texted you about it initially or something, and then it was just like, dude, I need to talk to somebody about this fucking like finally. Have we'll we'll get into it, but I'm I'm stoked. I think this movie is fucking nuts. It's absolutely insane, and I know. You, I, from what I've seen, it tends to be that that tends to be, or it tends to be the case where it's this kind of weird underappreciated or moderately gets kind of shoved under the rug a little bit, you know, as far as like a hierarchy of his, his films.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and we're going to dive into all that, but before we dive into Prince of Darkness, we are going to jump uh, dick deep right into little something we debuted on the last episode Called battle year so we will pick a year and we will face two films from each year or from from the year that we choose off against each other a little fucking uh face off of two films uh we're all going to choose which film uh and there's going to be a couple of them so we're going to do five here in the year can you guess the year boys 1987 we're doing to keep with the 87-ishness. Uh, so if we, if you haven't, uh, maybe one day I'll fucking edit in like an actual fucking like theme song for this or something. Since this is going to be like a segment that's going to be quite reoccurring. But regardless, so 1987, battle year. Two films faced off against each other. A few different rounds. Five, as it were, in this case. So 1987. If you haven't seen one of these films, you can just defer to the other one. Uh, or if you hate that one so much that you would go with the film you haven't seen, you can do that too. Uh, so first up, we're going heavy hitters. We're going, uh, big dicks and thick chicks, fucking Predator versus Lost Boys. Oof.
2: I, just, I mean, I, you know that is gonna be super hard, but,
0: uh. Eric, are you swimming in Greek yogurt right now? Your phone's warbly. No, am I swimming in Greek
2: yogurt? That's an interesting thing to ask, but no, I'm not. I'm just uh, sitting here on my couch.
0: Predator or Lost Boys?
1: I'm gonna defer to little. I'm in the yogurt. <laughs> You're hanging out at the Chobani factory, <laughs> <laughs> southern tier with New York. Um, personally, I'm gonna go. With, I'm gonna go with Predator. Ooh, I know. Hot I, take. I know. I know. I know. I know. And there's a reason. There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. And in a nutshell, as I think i mentioned before previously, Predator is one of those movies. Uh, Jesse, you know my dad. Uh, blue collar. I mean, the bluest of the collars. It's. not even it's probably even shifting colors now. But super blue
0: collar guy. <laughs> uh, alcoholic does have no attention span for anything
1: beyond five minutes or the Animal Planet. Right. So. <laughs> He was he this is one of the few movies he actually would sit down, aside from like the, the steam skull filmography, um and striptease maybe. Like this is the one movie that he would actually sit down and watch with me. Like I remember going to Video King, running it, and it was a huge deal. Two VHS tapes. You're telling me right now a fucking a blue collar construction worker is able to sit down and uh and do that's like insane to me. So <laughs> that's why. So sorry to go off on like a tirade.
0: Right no, we why. need we got we gotta get uh explanations for sure, so that's good. Eric heavy hitting Predator or Lost Boys.
2: Uh obviously both amazing films. I'm probably gonna have to go with the Lost Boys though. I think uh if we get down to the grand scheme of it and, and how I feel about the films. Uh yeah, I just think I connected a lot more with the Lost Boys. I really just love everything about it. Um definitely a film that me and my brother used to watch together all the time. Um, Not that we didn't watch Predator a lot, but, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with the Lost Boys.
0: Obviously, you guys know I'm going with the Lost Boys, but, uh, I mean, that takes nothing away from Predator, obviously. Uh, Landmark film, amazing on multiple levels and uh, built for every blue-collar man, as we can say. (laughs) Yeah. so number two, we got a little sequel action going on, uh, nightmare on Elm street, three dream warriors versus evil dead two.
1: I I already know mine. So it's, how do you, how do you want to roll with
0: this? I'll go. I'll say dream warriors by a landslide, like not even close.
2: Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go with the Dream Warriors as well. I think, uh, I mean, not that I dislike you, that I know that I think, Jesse, you're not maybe the biggest fan of it, but uh, Dream Warriors, maybe one of the best, best uh, sequels ever or, or parts of a franchise ever, so.
0: For sure. Lou, what you got?
1: So I think it was around Halloween this past year. I had messaged you, Jesse, and I was like, I'm going to say something that's super unpopular opinion. I was like, I don't think I like people that. And you're like, dude, you're not alone. So, so in this case too, and I know the second one, blah blah blah. Like, I get the whole storyline of it. It's fun and all that shit. Uh, Dream Warriors, fucking no, no, not even a contest. Oh, in, in
0: clean, clean swept. Old Evil Dead too. I like it. I like it. All right, here's uh, here's one. Uh, we're batting into fucking Eric's side of the field now. Uh, Monster Squad or RoboCop?
2: Oh shit. <laughs> Uh, I'll lead off, I guess. Uh obviously I'm gonna go Monster Squad. That's by far my favorite movie of all time. Most important movie in my life. Uh again, love Robocop, of course, but Monster Squad hundred percent.
0: Yeah, uh this one is fucking this one's fucking hard. Um I will probably I'm gonna go Monster Squad because I saw it and grew up with it before RoboCop. Now I grew up with RoboCop too, but I think I've definitely seen monster squad more. Uh, I'm going monster squad.
1: Oh boy. So I've seen RoboCop more and it had a huge impact on me specifically with like the toys and shit
0: up. Like oh, that. fuck like, yeah. My
1: cousins and stuff, like that was a huge deal. So, fuck yeah. Although I will say, as an adult, like we'll say within the last 10 years, I've seen Monster Squad more than I have seen Robocop, like rewatchability. I'm going to go with Robocop on this just because, like, I think at the larger scale of my life, but as far as like which movie I personally like today, I'd have to say Monster Like, I can sit down and watch Monster Squad, fuck it, after we get done with bullshit you know, and be fine with it. Whereas Robocop, it's a little different. That's like something, not to say it's not as watchable, but I, I just gotta go with the Robocop. Like I've, that I've seen more. Dude, fucking Red Foreman with hair is insane, you know, and fucking Ray Wise, dude. I mean, you know, it's just, it's fantastic. I mean, Nothing you can't, you, 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 you can't
0: my go my wrong movie. with either film. Let's be real. Oh yeah,
1: dude. Yeah, that's a hundred percent, hundred percent.
0: So, uh, another, uh, another sequel, uh, Duel. We got Creep Show 2 and Silent Night Deadly Night Part 2.
2: Uh, yeah, I guess I could go again too, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, I'm not the Silent Night Deadly Night franchise. I'm actually not that super well versed in. I think I've seen that movie like once, definitely Creep Show 2. Um, I've seen that so much more. Um, I'm much more into the, you know, the creep shows than. In the silent night deadly night franchises. although i do need to i do need to revisit those more because i know you guys are all talking about them and uh obviously i know they're super hype so i definitely need to check those out more but i'm gonna go creep show too
0: yeah i'm going creep show too as well um love silent night deadly night and love silent night deadly night 2 appreciate the other sequels because they're goofy and they're fun uh silent night deadly night 2 is so over the top and it's uh pretty much half the movie is a uh, scenes from the first movie which is fucking hilarious but uh i gotta go creep show too love creep show too grew up with it adore it um yeah
1: so jesse i have to thank you for your exposure to okay i don't want to phrase it so it doesn't sound like you exposed yourself to me basically what happened <laughs> is you had you had sent me a package at one point and it contained a two-pack silent night deadly night one hand Two. fantastic fucking awesome but in this case uh regardless of like the discrepancies between the first creep show and the second one, I think that there's shit to love in both of them. And I still got to stick with fucking creep show too. I mean, it's, it's just fun. I mean, plus you got the fucking rap. I mean, come on. Like, I it, mean, you know, I, I love Stephen King is, we all love Stephen King. So it's like, it just, that, that speaks to me more so than, than, on Night, Night
0: too. yeah. One, 100%. Uh, we're all in agreement on that then. And uh, the last one here: Full Metal Jacket versus Lethal Weapon. Wow! Wow!
2: Yeah, that's a really interesting. One that is really interesting.
0: I mean, this one is really fucking hard for me. Um, now, I grew up with both these films. Uh, again, these are blue collar movies. Okay. I, I feel like the. Uh, I feel like if you have a a Bentley, and you live in, like, a a million-dollar mansion, I have a feeling you're not going to get a pizza, and you're coming home, and you're, wa- you're like, eh, let's watch fucking Time Cop and Full Metal Jacket tonight. Like, I feel like it's just not happening. Uh, you're you're not based in the, the reality that the blue-collar man is. Now, the blue-collar man, he is going to Dominic's and getting a fucking a, a large pepper and fucking stop by fucking Cozy Corner, get yourself a fucking a and watching full metal jacket on a Friday night after you just worked your construction job. It's just not happening. But I, you know, it's so hard. I grew up with both these films. I'm going, uh, I probably, which is kind of fucked up to say, because it's a way more fucked up film, but I think I saw full metal jacket before I saw lethal weapon. I probably didn't see lethal weapon until like, I don't know. I was probably almost ten, maybe. But Full Metal Jacket. I remember watching that. Like, I remember the when they're like getting uh like picked off out outside the building from the sniper, and I remember that when they go in the in the building. Like, it was one of my fr- one of probably my first ten film memories ever. And I just remember like the the like crazy like I don't know if you guys remember it, but The, like, uh, whatever, like, Vietnamese instrument that, like, is playing in the background. It's like... Uh, It's unsettling, dude. Yeah, it's super unsettling. And that creeped me out so bad as a kid. And, of course, as a kid, you gravitate to, like, shit that you think's fucking funny. So, obviously, holy shit! A jelly donut! Like, I thought that was funny when I was five, and it's still just as hilarious now. Um, and, uh, and of course I, I'm almost positive. I think I was in second grade and I got in trouble for, uh, uh, this is my rifle and this is for fun. You grab your crotch. Uh, yeah, you know, I definitely got in trouble in second g- grade for doing that.
1: You owe me for one jelly dough. <laughs> go up and eat up
0: fatty you
1: paid for it (laughs) so so i i am also i'm also gonna to to, i'm I'm going to go with full metal jacket as well because i think it's seeing as a kid i was always drawn to like war movies and shit like that that was one war in action as a as a kid like on my mom's side that was always something that they were kind of cool with like i could get away with watching more explicit like watching hamburger hill as a kid it's like well, it right right allowing a kid to watch that they didn't know it was just like oh it's a war it's movie i was cool to, you know i was okay to watch that and kubrick's foam on a jacket was also in that like oh it's it's okay looking back on it it's like that is an extremely fucked up movie but it in, in lethal weapons fan fan fucking tastic but i think in terms of like movies that impacted me like in a bigger way like mount well, no, jacket still creeps me the fuck out like i think that sequence when he actually walks up in and finds a sniper and she's like shoot me or whatever like the yeah weird panning between the faces and shit's just so 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 fucking bizarre plus all the weird sex jokes between the soldiers is always hilarious um no no tuboku or whatever the fuck oh that, that whole, dude hilarious fucking
0: awesome <laughs> now what we got here is an alabama black snake <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it ain't no two goddamn yeah,
0: or whatever. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, the cast of characters that were in that. Obviously, we get Matthew Modine is just like perfect in that role as Joker. Um, you know, Arlie Ermy uh is the drill sergeant. It's just fucking man. They what a what a cast, and even getting getting uh just. I mean, it was just perfect, and it just it was such a sign of like. The times in the '80s, the way it was like, but at the same time, obviously, it's a movie that takes place in the '60s. Um, it just nailed that like '60s Viet. It like movies like that gave me true insight. And and everybody, I remember talking to like, uh, my dad and 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 he had a friend who was in Vietnam, and he said the most like accurate depiction of like that craziness and the time for. Vietnam was definitely Platoon and Full Metal Jacket are the most realistic Vietnam movies made on Vietnam. I
1: I think that, so. The one the one thing that I still quote constantly, and it sometimes it, most of the time it gets lost on people. I have to do it around like you know Nick or Jeff or someone, but it's like one of my favorite lines is, "Was that supposed to be some kind of sick like, joke? Why don't you come under the winning team for the big group hug or whatever?" Like when they're standing like over the mass grave, yeah. And like the general sees the peace sign. He's like. You know, you have to. You have a you have a symbol next to a you know next to a, something that says like whatever like born to whatever, kill fuck, born to kill born to kill. What's that supposed to be? Some kind of joke? Like, like, dude, fucking awesome. Just weird, weird characters. Great, great cast. Fucking fantastic dialogue. Anyway, I'm rambling. Eric, what you got? What you got?
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, this, too. I just want to give props to Jesse for having the most random two movies against each other. I find that pretty hilarious, kind of. But uh, yeah, I mean. Full Metal Jacket definitely the more monumental film. Uh, Acting, like you guys are saying, is just like superior in that movie. And seeing it, you know, around the time I did, like like you said, like an eye opening uh, shot into uh, Vietnam War and stuff like that. Uh, Obviously, I love Lethal Weapon. Fun movie. Probably seen Lethal Weapon way more times. But uh, I'm gonna go with Full Metal as well. Um, Probably, you know, one of the greatest films ever made. Probably so.
0: Yeah, yeah. That takes nothing away from Lethal Weapon because Lethal Weapon's rewatchability is insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just everything that Lethal
2: Weapon spawned. To, I mean, the, the sequels are all hilarious as well. So. Oh yeah,
0: definitely. So that'll wrap up Battle Year here. That was uh, that was interesting. It's always interesting to see what we're all gonna pick when we when we pit uh these films up against each other. I'd say, I don't know. I think uh. I think the Full Metal Jacket and Lethal Weapon one might have been one of the harder ones, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree, because like one of
1: them, I think both those movies are important for different reasons. And every one of the movies that you mentioned were important for different reasons, but that like was the most drastic of differences, where it's like, like you said, Lethal Weapon for sure has the most rewatchability. It's, it's fun as fuck. You can show that to pretty much everybody in their shit that you. Anyone can be entertained by elements of that movie without a doubt. And if you're not, you're a fucking cyborg. Whereas, like, with Full Metal Jacket, it's like, that's a little bit more of like,
0: that's a heavy fucking movie. You know? Like, oh, for Jacket, sure. Like, like you said, like you said, it's like, my dad's not going to sit down and watch. He might watch the beginning. He'll watch the whole training montage and, like, you know, basically, like that whole sequence. But when they go to Vietnam and when it gets a little bit more serious, like, I think that's when attention spans start to wane. So, yeah, just crazy, crazy spread between those movies. Well done. Well done. Well, all right, boys. We're going to dive into John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. And I know we had just talked about it before we did Battle Year As Well, this is one of Carp's films that I think kind of gets glossed over. And for no fault of its own, um, I, I think it that happens. I also don't think that m- the proper people who are carpenter who claim to be carpenter fans are really in the know on this film because I feel like and I mean when carp played uh the Palace Theater here in Cuse and he did his little signing beforehand if you bought the VIP tickets a lot of people were bringing Michael Myers Funkos and Halloween posters and nothing wrong with that. I got two things signed. I had gotten Halloween poster signed because it just felt sacrilegious to not have him sign something Halloween. Granted, if I knew that he was giving everybody that got the VIP, uh, uh, a 12 by 18 signed Halloween poster, I wouldn't have brought a fucking Halloween poster to get signed. But I did get, uh, from the palace theater when it, they, they, screen these films they screened a double feature of prince of darkness and they live and it was a mashup poster done by a local artist and i think her name's colleen mccarthy and uh it has alice cooper on it and has the 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 alien with the obey thing on it as well um and i got that signed because i adore they live obviously but i also adore prince of darkness prince of darkness is just one of those films that I think, as we said, it's been glossed over, and it's kind of, it's kind of on the, the, the bottom shelf of the video rack, I think, in his filmography. But for no fault of its own, I think it just didn't have. Came out in '87. There was no serial killer in it. You know, there was no. It wasn't a slasher film, so to speak. So I think the way when it got when it birthed. It kind of just got birthed into. It was a middle child. It was a middle child, or it was one of those. It was an. It was maybe even considered an accident. You know, you're you're in your 60s, and I mean, carp wasn't in his 60s, but bear with me for a metaphor. You know, you're in your 60s, and somehow your wife gets pregnant, and you can't believe it, and you kind of just have this kid right now, and he kind of just lives with you, but then one day he does good and he gets, you know, he has friends, uh, AKA the fans of this film have, they've kind of come out of the woodwork, uh, and, and, or people have discovered it as times went on and it's gotten it a Blu-ray release, which looks magnificent from Scream Factory. Uh, but this is his most different film. I, I, I think, uh, say for, you know, if you, if you talk like films that aren't necessarily horror films, like Starman, um, you know, as far as his horror films, this is his most different horror film.
2: Yeah, for sure. I feel like this, out of all those films, it kind of takes on a a, a, a really darker tone, maybe. Uh, I had a question actually. I wanted to ask you guys. What do you think, you know, before we really delve in, what do you think, outside of Halloween, is Carpenter's most, like, recognizable film?
0: Now I think it's The Thing.
2: Yeah, I was going to say the thing, but I, I do go back and forth. Like, is it, is it They Live? Is it The Thing? You know, I, I don't know. Like, obviously everyone knows the Halloween, and like you said, when when people were meeting him, that's all they're bringing up. I just want to know what, like, his other historic movie would be for, for, I guess, maybe the casual fan.
0: I think from, like, 2004, 5, 6-ish until probably the last... Honestly, five or six years, I think it was. They Live. I think there was a lot of Phantom around. They Live. I think there was bands that were using the uh, all out of bubble gum in their fucking things. I think you know wrestling fans obviously gravitate to that film too. There's crossover with wrestling fans and horror fans. And I think for a long time, I I do think it was. uh, I do think it was They Live. But I think for some reason the thing is just, which is so funny because that movie just flopped like fucking flare at Starcade in fucking 86 <laughs> fucking just, it did not, it flopped so bad, but the fandom for that film has just come like with aggression out of the gates in the horror community. Specifically, there's just so much love and appreciation for that film that it ha- should have had when it came out in, in 82. Uh, but I think it gets that now. And I think that, I mean, when you talk about carps, like masterpiece, I think that might be it
1: yeah you know and and I gotta agree with what you're saying too about like that time period you were talking about where the thing or where uh, they live like essentially dominated dude there's the fucking there's like what that line of clothing obey it's literally like
2: exactly whatever like and then it's like oh what is that
1: oh it's based off of a movie oh what's the movie it's they live it's with Jack Carpenter you know blah 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 I almost want to say I don't know I feel like even with some casual people like casual Carpenter fans though I feel like a, a second runner-up, weirdly enough, might almost be like. Obviously, the thing is there, but like Big Trouble in Little China. If we're not talking Halloween, like for some reason, that is like a movie that, like, that was a, another one I saw a little later on, because like I was of course like, you know, seeing shit like They Live as a, as a kid and like even even Halloween and then Escape from New York. It's like see Escape from New York as a kid. It's like that's fucking awesome. It's the best fucking movie I've ever seen. I love this. I love everything about it. The, the concept, what what the movie's about. But it's like, for some reason, casual fans, like people who aren't like, I'm into horror movies or I'm into this, that's more of like a kung fu sci-fi Superman. Like, I, I guess it's more of a kung fu movie, I suppose. But like, it's definitely, I don't know, for some reason that's another one that sticks out where it rises closer to the top um, with casual fans. But... I don't know. I, I think you might be right. I think the thing now is, like, that's it. People, everybody's talking about that shit.
0: It's not and they're talking, everyone. they came out this week and are talking about actually remaking, you know, John Carpenter's version of the thing. So, remake, you know, rebooting that, you know, with those characters and, and that whole thing. Talking about rebooting it. I mean, if that if 1982, they said this movie's gonna have such fandom and it's gonna be so beloved by the the genre that it's based in that you know 40 years later, there's gonna be talks of rebooting it. John Carpenter probably would have told you you're nuts because it just flopped so bad. But but that's what's so funny about Carp's career too. You look at A Prince of Darkness, cost three million to make, it made 14 million. It made, it might, it might even made 19 million. I'm not even sure it made its money. It made money. This money made three times more than three times its budget. So it was actually a very profitable film, which is goofy to say, because you think about how much people don't know this film these days, but they know the thing now. Yeah. It made 14, made 14, uh, it made an ass hair over fourteen mil. And it costs three to make. So it made its money back. And, and, and it was profitable.
2: Yeah, I think it is kind of like what, like a lot of people see it as a flop. But yeah, I mean, like you said, it was it was made profit, so that, I think that speaks volumes.
0: And yeah. Uh, it's yeah, it's really. I mean, did you guys know? So obviously, we get Alice Cooper plays one of the uh, the leaders of this uh, the, these homeless uh, Satan possessed drones. Uh, but did you know that Shep Gordon, Alice's longtime manager, who also produced, uh, a couple more John Carpenter movies after this, as well as Wes Craven's, uh, People Under the Stairs, he was a producer on this and that's how Alice got hooked up with it.
2: shit! Yeah, I think I read that. And wasn't, he, he was really just there to kind of like hang out, right? And then they like, they put him in like afterwards, right? After the fact, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, he just wanted to like be there or whatever. Uh, just wanted to check it out. Not only does Alice is Alice in the film, but Carp loved Alice's like uh like stab trick on that he used on stage so much that they used it in the scene where Alice impales the kid with the bike in the alley. So that dude, the dude with the that gets impaled, fucking listen to Alice Cooper too, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's just perfect. That that whole. The whole uh how that, that entire scene came together and how they tied it in it was fucking it was great. I the, the one thing I was curious about too, and I wanted I wanted to hear each of your guys' opinion on this.
1: So for you, for each of for both of you I guess, like what how how would you how would you explain this movie to somebody? Like what what would you categorize this as? Is it a horror movie? Is it a supernatural horror movie? There's also like elements of fucking like You know, they tie in the whole thing with like, uh, like, what is it? Physics and fucking, like, it gets into these really, uh,
0: the occult. Like, there's all of these. It goes out, it goes way out there. And it's, it is. I mean, Eric, you can attest to this. It's, you know, as we, I think we can all agree, it's hard to nail down what this film really is. It's, it's very, I think it's one of those films where you kind of have to interpret it. You kind of have to because there isn't a lot of resolution either. And I, I maybe that was Carp wanting to leave it open for a sequel, but there really wasn't a lot of resolution, which I kind of like. Yeah,
2: I like it too. It's, yeah, that is great. I mean, yeah, I, honestly, yeah. I mean, it, sci-fi, horror, like, it really is just like, you know, I, I know Lou, Lou touched on it. Like, I'm pretty sure, like, Carp, like, part of how he came up with this was he was, like, super into, like, quantum mechanics and quantum sciences and, like, reading all these books and then...
0: Does Jen know this? Does Jen know this?
2: She doesn't. She's never seen to this, So, but you can help me try to show her. I mean, if this
0: uh, would, this would reel her in, I think.
2: <laughs> uh, and then I also read a story that like Deborah Hill, like had some dream about like a figure outside of a church and, and he kind of combined like all of that stuff to make the story. So, yeah, I mean, like you said, science fiction, supernatural horror, like it, it, it really kind of, it's everywhere. And like you said, the occult and um, obviously Satan and Satan
1: and the anti-God stuff, like it's, it's really all over the place.
0: And And even maybe what time—not time travel, but like the idea of understanding that
1: you will be at a certain point in the future. So therefore, you're trying to communicate with elements of the past in order to. Do you you know what I'm? It's kind of a weird thing to to go out on and to start like theorizing about, right? Like we're we're sending this transmission from the future, like shit like that. It's like, I was like, I am again. I'm still thinking. I'm still interpreting. I'm still like digesting it. Like it's just. It's one of those things that, it's the beauty of filmography, and I think he nails it on the fucking head. I was kind of, however, I was expecting that, like, we were going to get a fucking sequel. Like, looking back on it, like, after I I finally fucking finished watching it, just as a quick aside, because I had already said this to Jesse, I got this, the first time I saw this movie, I didn't finish it, and I got it when my fucking Netflix first started, like, back in fucking, like, 2007, right, 2006, 2007, they're doing the mail-away DVDs, I got this, in the mail and for whatever reason I don't know what the fuck it was I just didn't end up finishing I was a fucking dumb stoner at the time whatever I'm in college just whatever didn't end up finishing it but fucking finally like going out buying it sitting down rewatching it watching it again it's like holy fucking shit so this movie just completely blew me away from when I had first seen it like it made way more of an impact and I think that's part of the reason why it stuck with me now as a fucking like a cold adult right it's like I'm still how
0: much That's it's it is too. It's it's like a light Donnie Darko. Like there's so many different elements of it that they incorporate. You got fucking the great, the wonderful, the fucking legendary Victor Wong playing uh, Professor Howard uh, Bierick. Uh, also, he kills every role that dude I've ever seen that dude in. He commands the screen. He was the fucking grandpa in Three Ninjas. He was in Big Trouble in Little China. He was Walter Chang, who owned uh, the convenience store in Tremors.
2: Tremors, yeah. yeah.
0: And I just—he has like this, uh, this inflection in his voice that I'm like infatuated with. Like every particle has an anti-particle. Like I just fucking like love it. The fucking dude just kills it. Can we can we talk about his facial hair as well? Because. Every time I see him on screen, it, like, trips me out. Like, it's it's the most patchy, full, like, facial hair I've ever seen on screen. It's insane. Like, there's, like, one long-ass hair in Prince of Darkness. You know you know how, like, you know how Joe Dirt says his hair grows in, like, just like that, white trashy? His, Victor Wong's facial hair grew in, like, super, like, Fu Man, like, it grew into a perfect, like, Fu Manchu but not really, because there was like pat. It was like a patchy Fu Manchu. He's like a white trash version of a Fu Manchu. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit!
1: Anyway, I digress. Sorry to go and talk about fucking.
0: But of course, we get DP. We get Donald Pleasance mm-hmm. as the goddamn priest. So let me actually make. Do you guys know
1: the answer? How did, the, how did John Carpenter and Donald Pleasance?
0: I think DP was a, he was like a, a classically trained actor that Carp had seen in something and wanted to, and cast him in Halloween. Right, Eric?
2: I think so, yeah. Like, he saw him somewhere, but I don't really know. I mean, I don't
1: want to sound stupid. I don't know exactly how the relationship started. Well, it's like, I, that, that kind of sounds, that's an interesting thing. That's why I was kind of wondering if it was like, here's the heavy actor. Here's like the, the trained guy. I'm gonna have them. I'm gonna have him kind of counterbalance some of the less trained. You you know what I'm saying? Like it's the balance and counterbalance thing. Like I was just wondering if, if like how did those two paths their those their paths cross? Because clearly, even in Halloween, it's like he was definitely the seasoned guy. Like he had chops.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, I'm I honestly I I I almost feel stupid that I haven't looked into it, but I really have no idea like how. Donald Pleasance got on to Carp's radar. It had to have been from one of them early 70s films he was in. Uh, uh, What? I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I've ever heard in an interview John Carpenter talk about like how he found or cast Donald Pleasance, and maybe I just haven't paid enough attention to all the extra features on Halloween that I've watched over the years, but... I want to say I heard that, that he was, like, classically trained actor, and, like, he reached out to him, and I want to say that, like, he was maybe even struggling for work at the time, and this kind of, like, you know, revitalized him a little bit. Um I may be off base with that, but I really... I think that is all the knowledge that I have about their meeting and their copulation of fucking... of working together on Halloween. It's just...
1: For for an actor that he went back to, to the well quite a bit with Donald
2: wasn't. it's very interesting. I was just I was thinking about that. I was like, he like, yeah, actually has
0: been in. Donny uh, Donnie loved hitting the sauce back then too, didn't he? Oh yeah, he was he was saw right up. He actually looked good in Prince of Darkness, so maybe he was on the wagon. But I feel like uh, I I don't know though because Dude, maybe maybe he was maybe he was because I know in the filming of Halloween four and five. He was uh he was uh he was definitely sauce saucing it. He was uh he was full blown uh, sauced in those one. He looks good here. I don't know if it's just makeup, but it looked like he had good color on his face and everything. Uh, oh, I, didn't, I didn't know that about Donald no, Oh about yeah, he face was face super he got super saucy in the eighties. So I, I wanna say like
1: the like the second the second full watch through in like a week when I, I got this. I want to say, like, I was sitting on the couch watching it, like, dude, he looks kind of fucked up, like, but, and I didn't, I didn't know that, that's the thing, that's why it's weird that it's like, oh, yeah, he fucking was hitting the fucking bottle, like, hard in the 80s. He looked good, but I want to say there was a couple scenes where it was like, whoa, dude, like, your Russian lines or something, like, you know, like, I don't even remember what the fuck it was. It might have been when, when they go downstairs, when he shows um, Chang, like, the actual, like, the book, the interpretation of it, and those two are going back and forth. Like, there was some rush lines or something in there that, like, tripped me up. But anyway, moving on. Uh, yeah, he did look good. He looked good, but I didn't know he was fucking... I didn't know he was a booze hound at that.
0: Way. Yeah, I think he notoriously carried a flask of uh, of his beverage of choice on, on all sets. Sorry
2: i'd imagine old granddad liquor or whiskey if i had to imagine, yeah what if i had it? to
0: guess definitely that or maybe i don't know what else he would have yeah i would say that's a safe assumption actually
1: i feel like i can i feel like i can smell those scenes now um, oh yeah ugh, dude, that's interesting.
2: just carpenter smoking cigs like five feet away well <laughs> flash just came out you can smell it right
0: now oh yeah I guarantee fucking carp single-handedly gave several people lung cancer from secondhand smoke on this film. Uh, but yeah,
2: up off as white Nikes
0: for sure. Oh yeah, he's you you know it's it is just such a it's an odd premise. Like if you try to describe this to people, like a priest uh, coerces a professor at a university. Uh, to get a bunch of physicists like together, some of the best of the best, to like go and try to figure this out and crack this code. There's a goddamn fucking. It looks like the, it looks like the the morphing things from Power Rangers where you stand yeah. in and you morph through, um, uh, like the Lord Zed fucking type looking thing. Uh, or not Lord Zed. What was that fucking Gordon or? whatever the fuck the the talking face that they talk to but uh it's uh like they're they get they try they're trying to like you know gather these physicists up to like crack this like you know the ancient code of the ancient evil satan uh and I do like that they went to the roots they they you know there's no killer there's no there's no like you know masked killer the the evil is the you know the oldest and the purest of evils that's literally like you know, has escaped out of this box from uh, the Hoosier shits that dies. Like, it's re, it's it's fucking out there. It's definitely was was carp was carp hitting the sauce when he wrote this or. Well,
1: it's it's kind of like the perfect fucking like cornucopia of like I don't want to say like his tropes, but like his tropes. So it's like you have elements of like a song preceding 13, where it's like they're trapped in this church, surrounded by homeless people who are like you know, basically, like, you know, under the control or under the spell of, you know, the Satan, right? You also have elements of the thing where it's, like, you know, the fucking juice, the essence of evil is being shot in the people's face like this goddamn cum shot and Brazzer's set, and then they're walking around and infecting other people, so it's, like, you don't know who to trust, so there's that, like, element of paranoia. Combine that with now there's also, like, the, the these group of priests, these occult priests that have kept this secret, so I would then equate that to almost like Halloween three, where it's like the occult end of things, and so it it kind of wraps all of those things together uh, in a beautiful, beautiful way, um, but also moderately discombobulated. Like not discombobulated in, in a negative way, but it's it's like right now we're having trouble figuring out like what actually is this movie, you know? In it, 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 that's great.
0: It's kind of it's it's maybe, Eric, you can speak on this, too. It's, it's it, as hard as it is to describe, it, it just seems like it flows so well, even with its, like, I don't know if I want to call it ambiguity, but, like, with its, like, just, uh, like, va- the vastness of the script and how it's executed it just flo- it just flows, and it's such an easy watch too, which is so weird because I feel like when people watch films that like have a lot to say or it seems like there's a lot going on, they're sometimes way too wild-eyed and all over the place. This is pretty cohesive for as crazy as the story is.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think if you know, just knowing what the film is about, uh, if you were to read a synopsis of the film, I think it would be really easy to get like, like lost in the sauce. Like this could be awful. but like you're right. Like, even though it's kind of tough to pinpoint, uh, not so much the tone of, but like what the movie is, I feel like so many people want to, uh, like pinpoint what a movie is, like a genre or something like that. And like the story is kind of, like like I said, it's very cohesive and it's, and it's, it's really watch and, um, you know, like I said, if I was to show, if I was to read this to somebody who probably has never seen it, they'd probably be like, I'm not, it sounds crazy. I'm not going to watch this, but it's a really easy watch, really fun watch. Um, I have a question, like, do you think there's some sort of, like, underlying tone of, like, you know how usually people say, like, science and religion, like, don't mix, like, if you're really religious, like, you don't believe a lot of the sciences, science stuff, of like, the science side of things, but if you're, like... Heavy in the science, maybe you don't believe a lot of like the religious side, but in this scenario, like you know, the scientist and the priest are like teaming up to like fight this evil or to figure out what this evil is. Like, you think there's some sort of like underlying tones there, of, like it's really trying to say something bigger. Of like,
0: honestly, I, mean, I, I never made that correlation ever.
2: Well, that's what I mean. Like, I was, you know, me and my wife. My wife is a scientist, and you know, I will miss she is. Uh, she's religious as well. I'm not. I'm not religious at all, but. I always make the, well, I call it a joke, but I would say, you know, science or religion, they just don't mix. And she gets kind of heated about that, but it's kind of true. And like I said, you've got the scientists, team, you know, the police going to the scientists to team up and, uh, and to, like I said, fight this evil or figure out what's going on with this evil. And I don't know, maybe maybe he was trying to speak, something, speak to something bigger, or maybe I'm just crazy. But uh, definitely, you know, thought-provoking question, I think.
0: This sounds like it would be Jen's favorite movie of all time.
2: <laughs> well, who knows? She, she watched. The, I showed her the thing a couple of weeks ago. you remember? And she said, uh, "I hated the ending. I give it a D plus." So who knows? Really?
0: It's... <laughs> <laughs> She's a tough, tough one. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it is. Uh, maybe it is. Uh, maybe it was Carp uh, and I don't even know who fucking co wrote it with him. Did uh... I
2: think it was just? I mean, he's, I think he's the
0: only one to it under his, he had like an alias for this one too, right? So. Oh yeah, maybe it was, uh, what was it called? I can't remember what his alias was. Uh,
2: it was, um, Mar- I just
0: remember, like, yeah, Quartermass or something. Like yeah, was season. it Martin Qu- Quartermass
1: or something? It was yeah. weird, but. Jesus Christ, he sounds like a fucking pirate. I think like.
2: Paying homage to like An old British Like TV writer Or something Like it's a combination Of like The like, actor The guy's real name And like some character He wrote or he played I don't know
1: Something like that That's, that's a goddamn villain Of the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. Like that's that is, like, <laughs> Fucking uh,
0: shit Uh Yeah it, it uh, Maybe it was uh, Him trying to say Like you know So many people say And believe that Science and religion Don't mix Uh You know what a what a great thing to mix them and to to do to you know defy even those standards uh, that people have. Uh, that's an interesting thing. See that this is one of those films. If you talk about it enough, you talk yourself in circles a million different ways about what the fuck is actually going on. Actually, I I'm now that I'm thinking about it, the more and more I think about it, they should have played uh, Donald Plut the priest that played by D.P. He should have been. Uh he should have been the scientist, and and uh, and Victor Wong should have been the should have been like a really alcoholic priest. I feel like that would have been fucking great. It would have nailed that role, that's for sure. I I, I think you're onto something,
1: Eric. Like in particular with that like observation about that, because it's it's obviously something for fucking forever. You know that's been debated. Logic and reason and science, because those obviously all go hand in hand, right? Versus, you know, faith-based items, you know, things that you can't recreate in a lab, and you're you're always going to end up hitting a fucking corner or hitting a wall with trying to talk to somebody about faith-related items because it's like the absence of evidence, like I believe it without having physical evidence. I I'm, I'm willing to forego that. So it's something like this to see those like. So to see those two forces kind of team up, I, it's almost as interesting to see, like, scientists cope with the fact that it's like, this, what the, what is this? You, you need to tell me that something's, you know, physically manifesting out of nothing? Like, that whole thing, when it's like, what the fuck is this? It's almost like, for people watching it that are, like, I myself, I'm also not religious, you know? It's like, I have beliefs about the nature of reality and the universe, but it's not grounded in, like, you know, Catholicism by any stretch of imagination. So it's like, you know, to have those people, you know, scientists-based people and people who are logic logic don't necessarily follow that track. Like, watching like oh, fuck, this is happening, and then have people who are religious watch the same movie. It's like, I would just, I'd love to sit down with somebody who is, like, religious and try and watch this movie with them and see what their hot takes are. Um, because that's a pretty interesting, like, sub underlying subplot, you know. In order to save humanity and re- this plane of existence, like, both, you know, religious religious zealots and scientists need to team up to fucking take down the ultimate old evil, right? Old gods and shit.
2: If only that would happen in real life
1: now.
2: I know, right? I so- feel like we all just need to find some sort of anti god that's made up of some green shit.
0: Maybe, maybe they need to screen this across every city in America, and maybe there'd be some kind of uh, healing that would true healing that would happen throughout this country, not just this fake healing that we all talk about on social media.
1: So, let me ask you this: so, what at the at the very end of the movie, like the climax, like the mirror and shit, right? That was an attempt to bring the father of Satan, through to this plane of existence? Is that correct?
0: I think that's up to interpretation. That's the whole thing. There's no definites in anything. You know what I mean? There's no... The, the characters are never, like, explaining what's happening or explaining what could happen uh, in full. It's all, you know, ambiguity. It's all very, like... uh it, there isn't uh, definite answers. There aren't definite definitions of what's going to happen if if this occurs, if they don't uh, put a halt to this. They, they play with, obviously, with the mirrors. They play with the... Uh, they don't ever say it, I don't think, but they play with the parallel universe thing, which ties into modern things that are being created modern day. That I think either it could be conscious or subconscious. Same thing with uh, Stranger Things, The Upside Down. You know, the parallel world that exists within us. Like reality, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's you know it, it's right there, and it's but you need to find the 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 space, the um, what do you want to call it, the the conduit or the a conductor or whatever to to make that transition. It, They never really, they just touch upon it a little And I feel like, you know, a sequel would have dived in and gave more answers But I kind of like that there are no answers Because it leaves it up to your imagination to kind of just play with it as you will
2: Yeah, I think sometimes, like you just said, less is more And, like, not everything has to be explained I know some people really fault films for that um, Not explaining it but I think it's perfect in this, and like I said, it leaves, it leaves it up to your imagination. And listen to us, listen to us talking now. I mean, the theories that we're coming up with, and, and like, what is what um, the alternate realities, good and evil. I mean, yeah, it's just left up to interpretation. I think. Well, so it's it's kind of like that that quote, and I know that I've, I I know that I've mentioned this before, like on, on
1: another episode. But it's like that great fucking quote that like. Tarantino had when he was sitting down with Rodriguez and they were talking about Stephen King and he said like Stephen King is the master of like basically painting this very elaborate like picture of, of setting the stage for these characters and you become very invested in them because you know them so well fuck, you know what they're wearing you know what the fucking ass smells like so it's like by the time that those characters start going through chaos and experiencing hell you are invested you are along for the ride and I think that this movie mirrors kind of that in a sense where it's like you have people that are dealing with ancient evil that have no fucking idea they do not know what's happening in the audience we are vicariously essentially in that same seat we're also we don't, I don't know what the fuck is going on so it's, it's a cool way that that translated in the movie and leaving it so open ended because you're right less is more and this this is a perfect fucking testament to that literally the point you just said Like it's. I agree I agree it's fucking awesome
0: so where do you guys think that this does rank and uh, amongst carpenter's films but it might be one of the most unique of the 80s especially when i when i talked about you know the popularity of the the slasher film and the the monsters you know the the 80s monsters when you got jason and freddy and uh, and and chucky and all these films that are that start to come out um, this is kind of, you know, one of those supernatural films that I think is even weird for the time, and it's still weird. It's So I understand why the fandom isn't there, but I think if enough people start to discover it, they'll start to understand how really unique and really cool and really different this film was then and is still now. Where do you guys think it ranks, like... I guess, in... It, we'll keep it just to, to Carp's... To Carp Land. You know, how does this film rank amongst his his films?
2: I mean, it's tough. I mean, I was... It's probably borderline top Like, five, top five, top seven. I mean, it's really tough. I mean, I, I will say, like... This is definitely, like, one of his later movies that I checked out. Like, you know, in my middle teen years, like i saw a lot of his other stuff like before this but i would probably put it at like six maybe five or six something like that um i think if someone was to come up to me and say yeah i really like john carpenter i've only seen halloween like what else should i check out like this is definitely a movie i would probably be one of the top like three that would pitch to someone to definitely check out because i just feel like you know just like everything we said like how great this film is Tough to pinpoint like exactly what it is he touches on a lot of different genres and it's really like one of his darker, um, thought-provoking films.
0: Oh yeah, probably his darkest for sure.
1: I would I would agree with that too. Like definitely, I, n- knowing now what I know and, and having finally finished it as a fucking adult, not you know all goddamn fucking pop-brained, and, you know, seventeen-year-old, eighteen-year-old, you know, recent graduate of High School, but it's like. Now it's like actually sitting down and like enjoying this movie like a lot. Um, it's definitely for me like today, like it's totally would be in that it would be a top five. And as far as like recommending it to people, I think it's another it's like another one of those movies where it's like because it's so thought provoking, whereas a movie like The Fog might be a little bit of a grind for certain people, or um, you know, Halloween's great, but like the thing is is a little too mm, or what? I don't know. Like, I think that this could fit in a weird, weird like swim lane of like recommendations, where it's like, I think that anybody who has an attention span and a fucking asshole can sit down and like watch this movie and find something rewarding about it at the very least, you know.
0: Yeah, it's as dark as it is. I feel like it. It's more. I. It doesn't leave you with like a sense of doom or anything, but it definitely it's really it's kind of his i'm i mean next to they live it might be his most like i don't know thought provoking movie uh and that i mean that says it right there especially when when you put it up to the juggernaut that is the john carpenter's they live i mean uh so if you hear us you know we're we're putting it up there and we're saying it's you know it's top 5 or arguably top 5 and and we're putting it up there to the likes of some of his best work. It's definitely something I think that people, if you haven't seen it, you got to check this movie out.
2: For sure, I mean, obviously, Carpenter's you know one of the greatest of all time. So ranking his movies like
0: he's a king. So, let's say Car- yeah, Carpenter's king.
2: Is a king, yeah. I mean, there's so many heavy hitters. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think putting it up, you know, if it is in the top or even close to that, I think speaks volumes because it's like. It's like name, you know, Michael Jordan's top five games, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's so goddamn many and it's the same with him. Cause he's like, he said, he's one of the Kings, if not the King. And, uh, yeah.
1: So you got, and, and I think Jesse, you and I were talking about this initially when I brought this up and, and I want, I'm, I don't know if this article that I read was hundred percent accurate. Was this his first movie where he had complete creative control?
0: I, uh, I. I know read, this
1: that, I read that yeah. in an article and I'm like, that's a whole fucking statement.
0: I know this
2: was like his return to like almost like independent filmmaking right after.
0: Yeah, he. I I think there is some truth to that because I do believe I've read something similar to that, and giving the uh, the wildness of this film. I think that's pretty accurate. If you, if, if that was what was read and I think I've read something similar, I think there was definitely like some looser restrictions because he was so bogged down with, uh, you know, uh, answering the studio's, uh, requests. Um, so I, I think that's even, even if that wasn't said, I I think there probably, if you think about it, there's, it, it is a little evident that, the the reins were loosened on him as far as his filmmaking for this film, for sure.
1: What a fucking statement that is too, if if, yeah. it is, if that is accurate. Like, that's, it's like, so this is your, you know,
0: this is your product of, of what you can do with that, with that brain and those... Fully unleashed.
1: Producing? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure if you, like, read into it, yeah, like,
2: I think it had, a, it had a little bit to do with a bunch of stuff, like, I think because of Big Trouble and they were trying to, like, kind of flopping and, like, I think Carpenter was also getting pissed at with like, the big studio stuff that that this was like, kind of a return to like, the guerrilla style of filmmaking, I'm pretty sure. But uh, yeah, as for complete control, I'm not really sure, but I know that this um, was like his return to independent filmmaking.
0: Very cool. Well, fuck yeah. I mean, if you haven't seen this film, obviously you heard us talk enough about it where... Your interest should be at least peaked if you're a fan of John Carpenter or any of his films at all. It's definitely something you need to check out. Prince of Darkness, 1987. Great film, if not alone for the Alice Cooper cameo. Uh, you know, it was... Uh, and also, Shep Gordon is uh, a very unique and awesome individual. If you guys haven't seen it, there's a documentary on him called uh, Super Mensch, uh, and it, it was uh, pretty much all about his uh, him coming into the entertainment industry and his long standing uh, being the long standing manager and loan manager I believe of uh, Alice Cooper for his entire career. So if you guys haven't seen Supermen's, definitely check that out. Um, but yeah, I mean, Prince of Darkness, what a what a fucking film! And if you haven't seen it, check it out. Obviously, the three of us uh, gets our stamp of approval and uh, high praise for the king, Mister uh, Mister Johnny Carpenter. And uh and yeah, uh if you uh want to like, subscribe, fucking follow us on Instagram and Twitter at HeartGuide Media. This is the Sight and Sound Podcast. Uh you can check out Lou at Burger Creek Productions and also at Lurking Class Band is the handle on Instagram, Lou. You are correct. You check out Eric Scott Tyler at Eric Scott Tyler on Instagram if you want to give him a follow. Uh and uh, yeah, you can follow us at, at Heart God Media. And uh, yeah, we're gonna be doing some more stuff. Obviously, we implemented a new segment. Um, uh, you know, Battle Year. Uh, we're gonna start doing some more reviews. I think uh, we're gonna get a review from Mister BT here soon. We're gonna get one from uh, Mister Eric Scott Tyler here. Maybe even Chongo. Maybe throw fucking Chongo. We'll get a god. We gotta get a chongro review in here. I get the fucking bearded nerd to fucking review something. Uh, but yeah, for uh, sure, check out uh, Prince of Darkness. What a what a fucking film! And uh, long live the king.